I am Sanjay Parekh, and I am the host of the Business of Meaning podcast, where we showcase businesses that pursue purpose and profit. My guest today is Nadia Labs. Nadia is a business strategist at SatyNet Technologies. SatyNet designs and builds clever connected devices that make fleet fishing smarter. Now, Nadia works with mission-driven organizations to prove their business models and help them achieve sustainable and socially impactful success. She's highly focused on commercializing SatyNet to ensure the company maximizes its impact. So let's get right into the interview. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to the Business hey. of podcast. It'd be great if you'd give us an understanding of why you joined SafetyNet and what SafetyNet is trying to achieve. Sure. Well, thanks, Sanjay, for having me on this podcast. Very excited to talk about SafetyNet technologies and what we do. Um, but so in terms of why I first joined SafetyNet, so as you mentioned in, in your introduction of me, um, I, I work with social impact organizations to help them increase their impact um, in sustainable ways. So looking at their business planning and their strategies uh, and go-to-market strategies. So I met Dan, the founder of SafetyNet, about three years ago now um, through a mutual friend. And he told me about SafetyNet technologies and that he'd been working on um, basically proving the technology and working in research with a bunch of scientists to really validate the, the science behind the technology for the past almost, well, I guess at that point it was about seven years. Um, and he seemed to have this product that was really great at helping making the, the, the fishing sector more sustainable. Um, and so I was surprised that it hadn't, he hadn't gone to market yet. So um, me with a bit of a eager drive, I was like, okay, let me see if I can help and help you take this product to market because this is where it can really have a bigger impact. Um, so I initially started on as a consultant about a day a week. And then after a few months was asked to stay for, well, indefinitely. <laughs> so got more involved and um, have been there ever since. Great. So, so what, in it, what was it in particular that, you, that attracted you to safety net and made you want to get, go all in? I think it was a combination of things. So um, my original background was in engineering. Uh, so it was probably a bit of the nerd side of me and getting excited that there is a technology that could actually help reduce bycatch and solve a social issue in that regard, um, which always kind of excites me. So one, that, and the fact that he had put so much effort into really working from like the, the root cause of understanding and working with science, scientists to validate the technology um, versus um, you know, some organizations I've come across that are very commercially minded but might not have put a lot of work or effort into validating their technology or their minimum viable product even um, to make sure that it would actually work um, and, and using a very user-centered design approach to make sure that this could actually be something that fishermen would actually want to use versus something that would just get you know stuck on a on a vessel somewhere and not actually be put to use so i think it was the validation of the technology um the very much user-centered focus on it and then for me, it was a little bit of a, um, I guess, yeah, the potential that I could actually come in at a point where there is a validated technology and help it get to market. Um, so a bit of an eagerness and ambition around that as well. Great. So um, I suspect most of our listeners won't have uh, spent too much time in the fishing industry. It'd be great if you could just explain what the particular problem 
is that you solve and 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 why your technology is is best suited to do that yeah so fyi i have not either had a big fishing <laughs> background before <laughs> working with safety net technologies but um so the the big problem that we're addressing is that about 20 percent of catch so commercial catch is actually the wrong catch in terms of uh, not being the right market species and being endangered or being juvenile which means in the past up to the 20 percent of fish that's being caught is being thrown away which leads to billions of tons of fish being thrown away each year um, and you know environmentally and in terms of food security and for, for biodiversity reasons this is quite detrimental so um, the technology that we use actually uses uh, light that has shown through various scientific trials that variations of light can attract and repel different species of fish so using that and being able to program that into these devices Fishermen can then, you know, use these devices to attach to their nets, to their pots and traps um, and different gears to then be able to fish a lot more selectively and not have to catch the wrong fish in the first place. Okay, that's really, really interesting. So are you saying that cod would prefer or be more attracted to, say, a blue light, a haddock would be more attracted to a red light, and you use that knowledge uh, in your technology then to attract or repel a different species of fish is that, is that exactly that's, yeah and it sounds a bit like science magic voodoo <laughs> uh, that's exactly what it does so um we actually have a scientist on our team too that's been looking at how different species of fish perceive light so based on their retina and, and the, the, their eye shapes basically on which wavelengths they can see how flashing patterns affect them so based on that using that behavioral response in fishes to be able to determine what they can see in the first place. So whether if there's a light on a net, if they can see it or if they keep swimming, or can we then be able to separate another species that can see it, which might have a different reaction. Um, so then being able to yeah, cluster on how, on how we can use that behavioral response. So, so it's light then specifically and colored light. It, you mentioned their response. So is it also things like flashing and, and, and different, different ways of emitting that light as well as just, just the color? As the yeah. Color? So there's the, the wavelength itself. So the color, there's the intensity, there's polarization and there's flashing rates. Um, and with those variables, we can test on how that impacts the different species. And how would a, I'm assuming this is, a, this is, applicable to a fleet rather than a sole fisherman is that is that the target or or, or can it be used by a small fisherman that's that wants to just protect his uh, so yeah so ideally all but uh we have designed so a current product that's looking at going to market um we've designed those for more of the industrial fleets so right. in terms of commercial sizes um bigger boats that are at least 10 meters plus um however uh, we're from our r d perspective we're very much interested in seeing if we can help um, the artisanal fishing fleets as well, um, giving especially in developing countries, those make up the most of, of their fishing operations um, and they could really benefit as opposed to kind of the bigger commercial ones. So we're doing some research in that area right now, but currently our products are designed more for the, the bigger industrial fleets. Got it, got it. So it's, it's, it's essentially a connected device that, that's attached to the nets that aimed at the industrial market and then in terms of the data that comes back from those devices, is there a bunch of stream of information that sends it back or is it just that you set it 
for whatever fish you want to catch and then you leave it how, how does that how does that side of things work yeah so right now in terms of our product development um we don't have any data sensors in it yet which we will be including in the next version up however um given that this data is really important to us and making sure that it's being used appropriately and kind of what the impact of the devices is itself we've set up our business as a um, as our business model as a service model so that we have that interaction with the customer on an ongoing basis to determine you know what is the impact on on their catch um, what are they avoiding and what is the difference and also being able to link back to the information for example of their logbooks and things like that wow it sounds, sounds incredible um, and um really interesting that it's backed by science so could you talk a little bit about that that's obviously critical for you as an individual but also uh, for safety net and it sounds like a lot of work's gone into bringing the research into the product how do you manage that side of the business yeah well so i would say actually the the founding of, of safety net technologies was based on on a scientific research paper that dan had found which was actually written back in the 70s of this literally a fish not a fisherman a scientist chasing uh fish around in the fish tank with like a flashlight so and showing some interesting results from that um and he'd also come across so you know in the news some interesting um um, news about fishermen being uh, in Norwegian uh, Norway being uh, arrested for for throwing up over their the fish they didn't want. So then, looking at scientific papers like that to try to see if there was a technology that he could then work on to help bring into the commercial market, um, he started contacting all these scientists. And um, it I won't say it was an easy start for him. So it took him quite a while to gain some traction and trust within the scientific community, um, because again, kind of like me, what do we know about? Um, the you know science of fish in the first place so then um, being able to build those relationships were really key and then testing those hypotheses around different species of fish and seeing what the results were and Dan started developing these prototypes that they could use within their lab tests um, and still ongoing with the, within the past 10 years he's now really built those strong um, relationships with them so much that we're also part of a UN FAO group um, with a bunch of scientists and we're the only technology partner within it that looks specifically on how light can impact um, different species of fish. So yeah, it's very much a, a strong bond with the scientific community there. It's, it sounds uh, that, that you've got that side well managed and it's critical to the success of the business. And just as a point of interest, my last business, um, we worked a lot with sound and the use of sound detection for presence in the home. I just just wondered whether sound plays a part in your device or will it play a part in your future product roadmap? Yeah, so um, we've looked at sound and, and Dan's looked at sound initially as well uh, when he was starting around this and we've actually veered away from sound a bit. Um, there has been a, a bit of, um, well, and it's not completely scientifically justified or, or proven yet, but that sound has had also a negative impact on the, psych the psychology of, um, of fish as well. Right. So some are getting, have, have been shown to have had quite negative impact from that as well. So we're staying away from sound for now, but also on the fact that there are devices out there that currently use sound. And so we don't want to reinvent the wheel in that part. Um, and But in terms of the technology around light, not has as much has been developed around that as much. 
So apart from the fact that the sound could potentially be detrimental to, to the fish, maybe to their psychological health, I'm guessing, um, what, what other benefits do you, does your system have over, over your competitors? Well, in terms of the scientific trials that we've done so far, there's been no negative impacts, at least to psychological, um, that have been determined yet in terms of the light itself. And beyond that, um, there, our devices are, again, kind of um, focused with the user-centric design aspect of it. So making it very easily, easily usable for, for the end user was key. Um, and also kind of at a price point that isn't um, as high as some more camera-based options that are currently out there, but yet a little bit more advanced than using like flash flashlights or uh, glow sticks and things like that. Uh -huh. um, that's interesting you mentioned user design. So uh, most of the writing and, and the books uh, and I guess people's experience of user designer have been at the consumer end and, and, and focused on web applications, mobile applications. How, how have you taken a lot of those principles then and, and essentially created a product that's going to be used by fishermen, which uh, you know, I don't know too many fishermen, but my guess is their needs are quite different to your average consumer. Just thinking about silly things like they will be wearing clothing that will restrict their movement. I'm guessing they're not going to be as dexterous as, as uh, you know, your average smartphone user. It'd be mm -hmm. really good to hear how you, you, uh, how you incorporated their, um, their needs into the product. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, well, um, I think we've had the benefit for firstly, all, the, all our engineers or basically our whole team, um, our, our, all our engineers are design engineers, so they already have that aspect into their thinking of making sure that they're designing something for the end user. Um, but we say we kind of have the, the motto of our devices that they're built for engineers by uh, built by fishermen for fishermen, um, and they've kind of been along each step of the way as we've just been designing them, prototyping them, getting feedback back from them. Um, we've done a lot of service design also. Uh, with fishermen to understand how they would use it, where they would use it, when they would use it, how they would purchase it, um, and different models around that. So a lot of interaction with the fishing community is, itself. And what, what, what is the business model? Is it that you sell uh, the individual uh, units and then there's a service model on top, or is it all wrapped up in a, in a service model? Um, yeah, it's a bit of the combination. So we have an upfront hardware cost. So for an average vessel, um, commercial vessel, um, kind of on the 10 meter range, we predict units about 10 devices being needed. And, a, and so our units comprise of 10, unit, uh, 10 devices in a charging case. So there's wireless charging for those devices. So they don't necessarily have to, you know, open up, put any batteries in them, things like that. Um, but so there'll be a, there's an upfront hardware cost, and then we actually have a plan on delivering a value-based pricing model um, as a service. So understanding what is the benefit of um, using our devices for, for their own revenues, and then being able to take a cut of that on a month-to-month -month basis to then cover the service around um, uh, technology updates, maintenance, and any replacements if needed. So how much could a typical fleet save then? Uh, you know, they install your, um, your units on there, they've been running it for a while. What, what, what results have you seen? Well, according to our studies, they've actually, they can actually increase their revenue by 50%. Um, and this isn't just, wow. yeah, so this is, well, this is also a great case scenario if 
when the, if and everything plays out. Um, so I won't make the claim that that happens every time, but it is the possibility on the high end where it's not just the increase in revenue that they can make based on catching more of their target fish and decreasing the, their bycatch. Um, so not having to then sort that, um, use labor time for sorting. They can use less fuel because their catch is more efficient and have to take less trips out. Um, so all of that and then being able to avoid fines can also really play into that now with the EU landing obligations um, and that they're all also doing in the US. So yeah, can amount to quite a bit for them. Yeah, no, no, it sounds, it sounds a great, great, great innovation for them. Um, just to change tact a little bit, you're, you're a mission-driven business. You, um, the business was started out with a social purpose. Clearly, it's there to make money uh, as well. Could you just give us an insight into what the values are and, what the, um, and how you came about defining those values? Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you just said, it, it really started with Dan wanting to find a, a technology solution to, to the issue of bycatch in the first place. So um, in terms of our core values, it really centers, centers around developing this technology that can help with the health of the ocean. So whether that is, you know, increasing fish stocks or reducing the waste um, that's being put back into it and making fishing more efficient and effective in the first place. And then that tying back into also the, the, the economy of, of fishing in, in the first place of um, being able to support uh, the local communities that, that depend on, on fishing and how we can keep that as a viable option for fishermen as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's really, really, yeah, really insightful. How, how did you come up with those, with those values? So was, that, was there a process that went, you went through or was it purely from when Dan was starting the business that he said, right, this is, this is, this is what the business is going to be about. Oh, that's an interesting question actually, because I think it's a bit of both. Um, being a startup, you're, you don't always have the right processes and structures in place. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say it was definitely Dan that drove it for, for that reason. It was the reason why the rest of the team joined the team um, kind of with those same values aligned, but it was never like a blatant, you know, statement that was written on our wall or anything like that. Um, and then, but we, you know, kind of working together, we all realized we have those same values. And that was one of the reasons that Dan brought us in also. Um, and then over the summer last year, we, we were doing an accelerator and really wanted to uh, have a session on, you know, really being able to establish what those core values are, what's our vision statement, what's our mission statement, so that as we also start to grow as a company, that everyone's aligned with that and knows what we're talking about and is saying the same thing. And it's actually a very tricky process, but uh, I think we got there <laughs> eventually. But it, it takes a lot of effort because everyone has a little bit of a different take and might have a slightly different reason why we jo joined the company, but the underlying values were definitely there. So that brings me on to my next question then. How, do, how have you gone about maintaining uh, the vision as the company's changed and grown and changed tax slightly, I guess, as all companies do. And I agree with you, when you start a business, especially in a fast-moving startup environment, you don't always have the right processes and quite often things just get thrown in and you just start with what you have. But over time, you start to create some sort of order out of, out of, out of the, uh, the chaos. How do you make sure then yeah. over time that you're still true to, to, to your mission and vision? Well, I, I would say over time, we haven't had, that, haven't had to deal with that issue yet of being, being able to make sure that it maintains just because it's still relatively fresh. But 
I'd say since we kind of solidified our values and kind of a vision statement, and we've also had a lot of debates about whether mission statements are ones that change over time or do they stay the same. So we're, we're still continuously kind of debating that piece as well. But um, in terms of keeping it alive, I think it's been one very much implemented in our communication. So even when we do presentations or, you know, um, are talking at conferences or meeting people, um, there's always, we're starting to use the same terminology, which is kind of keeping it fresh as well. That make, makes sense. Um, I guess as, as, as the company grows and as time passes, it'll become more, more of an issue. So, yeah, and we're also not saying that it's the perfect statement at this point, but it's probably still a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the right attitude. I think anyone that says they've got their values completely nailed all the time, I think, yeah, um, it's probably not quite quite there yet with them. I think they, they are constantly evolving. So could you give us an insight into the culture of the organization um, you know, how you do things, how you run things, how, um, where do people work? Um, and yeah, how do you, how do you, how do you decide on things like objectives and those sorts of things? Yeah, well, oh, this is a very relevant subject to us right now. So, um, right now we are a team of four, uh, with some contractors, um, that come in and out based on kind of the workload and, and needs that we have. Um, but we are on the cusp of hiring a bunch of people and wanting to commercialize more. So as we call it, we're, we're growing up, <laughs> we're, try, try, we're trying to grow up. Um, so looking at, you know, what is our organizational structure? Uh, what is it? What do we want it to be in the next two years? What do we need? Um, what kind of culture do we want to have in place or what, do, which one do we already have that we need to make sure that stays the same? So in terms of, our culture right now, our organization right now, we are four of us that are working in a co-working space called Sustainable Bridges with a bunch of other sustainability startups. Um, so it's nice to have at least the kind of like-minded spirits around and be able to kind of bounce things off of each other, um, which then also gives you a lot of lessons on where you should be as a company and also keeps you a bit accountable because, for example, I was talking to another co-founder the other day who uh, mentioned milestones and how his team members are keeping track of individual milestones and it made me realize oh my goodness we have nothing like that <laughs> we should probably do that for us for our team as well especially as we start onboarding people into our team um, so things like that so again we're a bit early on where we're setting up these processes but it's a bit um, uh, what's it called kind of a grassroots culture right now where we have a very open working space. It's both our tech team and business. Everyone is there. Uh, we work around the same tables. We have, we, we've instilled things like Friday breakfast is a must. I'm trying to convince them that we need an office dog, which I haven't quite won them over on yet. Um, but yeah, just these little things, you know, that make the, the work environment quite fun. Um, we're all really good friends. We've actually spent Christmas and New Year's together uh, on a research trip so we ditched our families if that says anything oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but no it's, it's a really uh yeah i i realize it sounds cliche but it's a really great and fun work environment to be part of um and yeah i couldn't be happier really with working with these guys so we just hope that we can maintain that same kind of atmosphere as as the team grows as well i think some some of the things you said there really sort of highlight um the importance of 
at doing some of the smaller things. I mean, you, you say things like the Friday breakfast thing, just you know, eating together on a Friday, again, gives an opportunity to talk about things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about um, in a normal course of uh, business. And I think that things like that, I think give an insight into how the culture is shaping. So, um, no, it, sound, it's, it does sound like a fun place, especially if you can all manage to go away at Christmas and New Year together <laughs> and work. That's 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 something. Um, so yeah, no, that, that's really interesting how how the culture shaping. Um, you say you work in the co-working space then with other other um, sustainable type businesses. Um, how how have they influenced your your business then and where you were. I know you touched on it there. You mentioned about having milestones and tracking. Are there anything that's particular to the fact that there are other sustainable businesses that, that you're surrounding yourself with? Yeah, well, I'd say both in terms of the sustainable aspect of, but just in terms of being a startup as well. So, for example, um, one of the benefits has been that, so we're currently in an um, uh, investment round and we're hoping to close, close uh, a a raise by the end of Q1. And this is our first time raising money in, in terms in an investment co- uh, method. So having other startups around to kind of make sure that we're g- getting a good deal and what has their experience been and who are their contacts and helping each other out in that regard has been really helpful um, so that it doesn't feel like we're completely novices in doing this on our own. Um, but even getting that kind of feedback. And then in terms of the sustainable aspect, I think while it's not necessarily ingrained where you know we're we're sharing sustainability practices with each other but i think it's because it's kind of embedded in what we all already do but things like i mean very obvious things where the co-working space is quite green and anytime someone sees an opportunity to make it greener they feel you know they anyone can feel accountable in order to make that change which is pretty great i'm currently sitting in a I think it was a, a recycled greenhouse, which we've now got as one of our call rooms. So, you know, just fun ideas like that. But um, yeah, I think it's also keeping sure in terms of like sustainability metrics, which is another thing that one startup brought up. So instead of, in, besides just measuring your own performance, um, how do you also measure the performance impactfully from, from your organization and understanding what kind of metrics there are that we should be looking at? You mentioned that you're raising money right now, and I'm conscious that you know that elements of that be confidential. But um, how how have you found that? Have you have you been targeting uh, mainstream investors, or have you been targeting uh, impact investors, or or is it just a question of uh, just not worrying about uh, necessarily the, the values? You ju- you just need to raise money to to achieve your mission. No, I think that's actually where it's very, very important to us. So um, we've been we've been looking for very strategic investors that are very impact focused. So there's currently um, three investment organizations that are looking to close our round. Uh, one being conservation focused, one being an impact investor, and one being ocean focused. Um, so definitely in line with kind of our values and what we hope uh, we can achieve, and also how they can help us within this space. So for us, it's been a very strategic move uh, in terms of raising investment, which I realize isn't always the case for all startups or even all impact startups, because sometimes you just need the money to kind of get on. Um, we've been lucky enough to also receive a lot of R&D grant funding um, that we're not necessarily, you know, 
dying to get uh, money next month will survive. So we've, we've been able to be a bit more selective about the investors that we want to go for, um, which has been really great. And, and they've been very, very, benef you know, very um, helpful in that regard to making looping in with potential projects that are also on, on their radar and things like that. So um, yeah, for us, that was definitely really important. Um, and in a way, it also there we're I mean at the end of the day we're both we're an impact organization and we're a, a hardware organization. So these aren't necessarily screaming sexy and no risk to <laughs> to a bunch of traditional investors. So even when we were in San Francisco over the summer um, last year, we were finding it quite difficult to get more the traditional investors on board who are looking for a big return almost instantly, which we can't promise because it's going to take a while to change this industry. Um, so yeah, so I think um, impact investors and more impact focused investors have been a lot more helpful in that regard. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, if, you, if you just want to make a straight financial return, a, a software as a service business, probably delivers that much quicker than like you say a hardware stroke impact business um yeah but that's not the business you're in so um you're in, you're in quite a different business and you're doing something which is is mission driven so i think you're absolutely right in your approach it sounds um it sounds like you'll you'll make good progress in that um there's nothing worse than having investors that aren't aligned with your than your mission values because that will just create tension later on so yeah no, exactly. I, sorry, I was going to say also at the end of the day, um, maybe we're a bit risk averse, but I think we want to make sure that we're doing this the right way and the way that we want to do it. So we didn't want to necessarily get any investors on board that would push us in one direction or, or you know, or we'd feel pressured to, to make a quick return on something when it wasn't maybe in line with our values. So. Um, so something that you mentioned to me earlier when we um, exchanged emails was around a teal-like structure um, for, for building business. It'd be great if you could elaborate on that. I've not, I've not heard that term before, so it'd be good to hear what, uh, what you mean by it. Yeah, sure. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a new term. Um, it actually came out of um, a book that was written uh, called Reinventing Organizations uh, by Frederick Laloux who is looking at kind of the, the new types of organizations and how they were structuring themselves that were different to anything before that invoked a lot more of a, a kind of a flat structure across the organization and empowered their employees a, a lot more. Um, so looking traditionally at um, vers or versus more traditional hierarchical organizations where it's very much top down to now there's you know more modern Organizations like Google and Apple have a bit more of a, a matrix structure where it's not just top-down but kind of horizontal as well. To now this new, what he terms as a teal uh, organization that it's kind of flat, it's very transparent, there's not necessarily upper or top management. Um, people feel a lot more accountable and responsible for, for the, the tasks at hand and how the organization functions as a whole. So his book draws a lot of um, examples of, of organizations around the world that do this and have been doing it quite successfully. And so it inspired me to kind of see if we could do something like that, especially as we're growing as an organization, 
um, to make sure that we implement those those principles as well. So, and I think if I remember right, and hopefully this doesn't butcher his book, but the three mm -hmm. principles around Teal being um, evolutionary purpose, so having a purpose, being purpose driven, but also sure. making sure that it can evolve over time based on the needs of society, the environment, and the people. Um, being self-managed, so allowing people to really uh, have that control. Oh, and what was the last one? Evolutionary purpose, self-management, oh, and now I'm forgetting the third one. But either way, <laughs> principles yeah. that uh, were very much in line with what we wanted to implement um, here at SafetyNet also. I'm sure the third one will come back to you in a second, so feel free to jump in with it when, when, when it does pop back into your head. I mean, I mean that, that there's always new, um, I guess, ways of running things and ways of organizing companies. And I mean, that sounds very much like a structure that's that's for for the way the modern world works, especially technology businesses or businesses that are fast moving. Um, it it echoes a little bit around things like holacracy and and when you mentioned self organizing teams, is that is that something that you've you particularly looked at or is this something that the, the teal structure has taken from? Yeah, so actually Holacracy is an example of a, a teal organization. So there they've used those principles and kind of adapted it to a particular processes that worked or, well, I guess there's been also some bad parts that hasn't necessarily worked for that organization either, but it has those those principles in mind. And I remember that, well, and by remembered, it, I'm, I just Googled it. <laughs> the, the one I was looking at, so it's self-management, uh, evolutionary purpose and wholeness um, right. so in terms of making sure that um, um, the a whole person's whole person is able to come to the work environment um, and they can feel like they can be themselves and not to have to have like their work selves and their personal life selves right right I, I've, I've heard that uh, concept and it's a great concept and I think everyone should be doing this um, uh, somewhere else again I'm trying to remember where that was I think it was uh with jerry colonna actually i don't know if you've heard of him he's a he's a um a ceo um mentor startup mentor uh based out in colorado in boulder um and yeah he, he has a podcast and he talks uh, uh amongst lots of things about the sort of social mental well-being of uh, startup founders and one of the key things he talks about is exactly that that you need to bring your whole self to your yeah. work you you can't you can't bring just your work self like like you said if you do that again you'll end up creating internal conflict uh, within yourself you won't feel like you can be yourself and then you'll actually underperform as well and um, so yeah I, I think that's a very very strong uh, point on how you should be running your business but the flip yeah. side to that is you need to make people feel comfortable in, um, in bringing their whole self to, to, the, to the business. Exactly. And also allowing for, again, kind of going back to that company culture for people to feel not only comfortable, but um, enabling them to, to be able to feel like their whole selves at work and making maybe ex not exceptions, but, you know, um, not diehard rules so that people feel like they're breaking something if, if, for example, they need to take, bring their kid to work or you know, all aspects of it, being a bit more flexible in terms of the, the company organization. Yeah, yeah, and, and accommodating that diversity, like you say. Um, I think particularly in 
I would say in a technology business, um, you do tend to have a lot of, um, maybe, maybe this is a bit of a stereotype, but a lot of technical people tend to be uh, relatively introspective, not, not everyone. Uh, and then you'll get, and then when your business starts to grow and you get more commercially focused people, uh, especially salespeople, they tend to be more outwardly focused and there can be a clash uh, of mm. characters there and a clash of personalities and a clash of styles. And if you have hard, fast rules um, that was built for one type of stage of the business, you, you, you end up um, creating a, an environment which, which basically doesn't work. So you, you know, by being flexible around the rules and allowing both types of things, I'm grossly simplifying personalities here, but, yeah, but, yeah, uh, but, but allowing uh, th- those different types to coexist, um, that, that's one way of doing it by not being so rigid about, about rules and allowing people to bring their whole self to, to business. Yeah. yeah, precisely. So what's, uh, what's next for SafetyNet? You, you've got this um, product. Is, is the product now commercially available? It's, it's called Pisces, right? Is that correct? Um, it is, yeah. So I would say commercially, commercially available if, if you contact us internally. <laughs> so we're not selling it on any platform yet, um, right. but we are having some commercial trials now that will hopefully then convert into our initial customers. Um, again, we're, I think we're, we're going at it a bit um, slower. I wouldn't say slower necessarily, but carefully, cautiously, to make sure that we have everything in place as we start to commercialize. Do we have the right um, service setups? Do we have the right type of customer service? Um, things like that in place. So, um, hope, well, it would be kind of like a, a knock on wood um, if once we start getting a lot more demand in that we kind of have all those things in place already. But yeah, we're starting to have um, commercial partners in place, which is great. Which is great. And you talked about the fundraising. So hopefully that will close uh, by the end of the quarter. And, and you talked about hiring. So I'm guessing you're on the lookout for uh, a bunch of new people. Yeah. So what's been, yeah, I think you catch us at, at, at quite the, the um, interesting time because as I said, for the past now 10 years, Dan has been working on the R&D side of things and um, really validating the technology. So we're at a turning point now of wanting to switch away from, um, or not switch away, but in addition to the kind of the R&D side of things, be able to start really bringing this out into the commercial market. Um, and hence why we're doing the investment route so that we can focus those funds more in terms of our team growth and being able to focus on sales and marketing a bit more proactively um, and making the right kind of business decisions around that. Um, whereas a lot of our funding that we've had to date have been very project focused or, or trial focused. Um, so yeah, so we're hiring a bunch of people. It's, it's a bit scary and also realizing that we need to have all those structures in place. We're actually also currently looking for before we even hire anyone like an HR consultant to make sure that we have all our ducks in a row and lined up um, and that we are implementing those right kind of company cultures and values and documents and policies that we need to. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at right now. Well, it sounds like a, a re- really exciting time. Uh, lots of growth on the horizon and commercial trials about to complete. So yeah, it sounds, sounds really exciting. So the purpose of, you know, the, the podcast is to try and uh, showcase to uh, other business owners and entrepreneurs about businesses that have meaning and, uh, and are trying to do more than just just make a profit although clearly making profits make the world go around but you know really pushing um, purpose uh, through their businesses 
what advice would you give other companies or other business owners that are looking to add a bit add more meaning to what they do sure so i'm a big um advocate of the idea that every organization and every every startup or every business can be socially or and or or socially and environmentally impactful um whether you're a startup whether you're an existing giant corporation whether you're an nonprofit NGO. Um, so I think there's definitely principles that all can apply and just looking at how their businesses are being done and what can be changed to make it even more impactful or better. Um, so I'd say my advice is just see where you're at at the moment and in a very cliche way, be the change that you want to see um, and then be able to try to implement it. It's not easy, definitely not easy. And sometimes you have to make tough choices on the fact that maybe doing something more impactful will slow things down. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'd like to think that people are kind of moving in this direction where they're becoming more socially environmentally co conscious in the first place. So hopefully that, that then not only pays off for them, but as society as a whole. Um, so yeah, I think my, my recommendation would be there. Go for it. Um, I, I hope the whole, world can kind of move in this direction more and become more mainstream or for this to become more mainstream but that definitely it, it is um, a little bit of an upward battle before it becomes mainstream yeah I, I, th I think you're right but I think you know businesses like yours and the other businesses we've been talking to on the podcast are definitely trying to push this idea into the mainstream and I think there's a definite will uh, from the broader consumer uh, perspective as well to transact with businesses that have much more of a social purpose so I definitely think the the direction of travel is is this way and and I do believe it's accelerating as well so so I think it's really exciting times to be part of a, uh, a business with purpose and meaning um, so just to wrap up where can people find out more about um, about safety net and, and, and yourself Nadia? Well, everywhere. No, not everywhere yet. <laughs> <laughs> I would direct them to our website, but it's also not been updated for a while. <clears throat> Being a startup, we need to have some priorities in place, but that's probably should be one of the next ones. But uh, they can find this online at sntech.co.uk. Uh, also on Twitter at uh, sntechuk. And then we're also on LinkedIn and Facebook under those same names. Um, but yeah, I, other than that, happy for people to reach out to me our contact details are also on the on our website so um anyone that's interested in getting involved um yeah please reach out well thanks very much nadia thanks for sharing your story with us today and the story of safety net and showing us all how you conduct business with meaning no problem thanks for having me thanks again nadia that really showed me what a small purpose-driven team can achieve by applying some innovative concepts to the problem of waste in the fishing industry. Now for our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you love what you're hearing, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you've got any direct feedback, we'd love to hear from you, either via Twitter at BOFmeaning or via email at sanjay at thebusinessofmeaning.com. Well, thanks for listening. And we'll see you all on the next episode.